right, 173 days. You, we, the American people, you get to be the final jury in terms of what America's future is. This is it. Everything's at stake here. I mean, you could see this intersection now. This, you now got a, we're now at a point where it's going to be a showdown um, where there's going to be, it's not about flattening curves anymore for people because that's happened. We're on the other side of it. We, we, what did we hope? We hope we'd get to the, we didn't want to get to an apex, but we knew we'd hit an apex. Then there would be a, a leveling off, then a decline, then a precipitous decline. I could tell you in New York, which is the epicenter of this, it's, it's now at the dramatic decline. We also can learn lessons here. Um, a lot of them. If people would just pay attention, I'll tell you the lessons I think I learned and we'll let everybody else decide on their own because you have a you have you you have diametrically opposed models that were used, some that failed spectacularly, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and other places and places that did it right. We learned that workers can continue to manufacture all of the medical equipment that frankly Without them working, had they shut down across the country, manufacturing the medical equipment, New York healthcare workers would not be able to go to work and save lives every day. They did it. They stayed open. It's not that they're not arguing or debating whether they're going to reopen because they never closed and they were able to manage to do it. I have not read a single instance where the manufacturers of medical equipment got into any serious COVID-19 health breakout issues or what we call a hot zone. Now, we did have it in three states in terms of meatpacking, South Dakota, Iowa, Washington State. All three states, from what I can see after I last interviewed, let's see, Joni Ernst of Iowa and Christy Nome of South Dakota, that they were able to contain them and get people on the other side of it because we've learned so much. You know, I, I will say it, you know, what can we learn that Florida did that all these other states didn't do that protected the most vulnerable in the elderly population? We better learn because it's like 10 to 1 New York deaths, nursing home deaths versus Florida. You know, and, and this is where we are now. If we're not going to apply the lessons and we're just going to have these wish lists from Nancy Pelosi, this socialist utopia, three trillion dollars uh, wasting our money and not letting anybody get back to work. Well, we will never recover as a country. So the question is, now you have to find the delicate balance. How do you reopen and how do you do it safely? Now, I think the first area of concern has got to be addressed. That is when we protect the elderly population, those with underlying medical conditions, compromised immune systems, we learned a lot from Florida. Let's keep learning from Florida. Okay, then what else did we learn? We learned that medical equipment manufacturers, they were able to stay open and do so safely. Well, how did they do it? In every case that I know of, they use their masks. You know, all these testing centers that are developing new iterations of testing, they all stayed open too. From what I understand, their workers all had social distancing and masks and they didn't have major outbreaks. Okay, another lesson learned. Check the box. Okay, what else did we learn? We learned that, well, Sean Hannity keeps talking about the kid that stocked his grocery shelves because no store that I know of in New York ran out of groceries. 
And I saw the same people every week in their gloves, in their masks, stocking the shelves right in the epicenter of where this shift show was going on. Same with, but you know, I go to my local Rite Aid, my local CVS. They were open too. So what can we learn there? Now, there are people that I guess will never want to open the place up. And, and politics now is intersecting in this also. You know, the Democrats, all they want now is give us more money. Give us trillions for everything but COVID-19 relief. We're done with the money. We don't have any more money to give out. So the answer is getting people back to work, back to work safely. And if we don't do it, there won't be any money for anybody by the end of this. You know, the idea and, and look, I, I like Dr. Fauci, but he's not been the be all to end all here. Well, all of Fox is criticizing Dr. Fauci. I'm not criticizing him at all. The whole world was lied to by China. They lied to us at a spectacular level, and they've got to pay for that. But in the meantime, you know, Dr. Fauci was on my show January 27th, February 10th, February 29th. He was saying the risk is low. Uh, March 9th, it's okay to go on a cruise if you're young and healthy. Those were not good decisions. I think March 9th, he was saying you don't need to wear a mask. Okay, I'm not saying he's devoted his life to saving lives. I'm not being critical of Dr. Fauci, but every model that we were given about what the projected death rates were, they were wrong, too. So now the only thing that that where my mind goes is what worked and what didn't work if you want to open the country. And the president saying that his critics want to keep the economy closed. Yeah, because they think the worst off the economy is that uh, the odds that they have a better shot of winning in 173 days is better. You can't deny politics. What did I say at the beginning of the year? Every single thing we now see has to be seen through the prism of this being an election year. It's just sadly the way things roll. That's the way it works. You know, Nancy Pelosi, a three trillion dollar wish list, including marijuana banking protections. Really? You know, uh, keeping the government from sharing information with families about lower cost health insurance options. Really, Nancy, from your gated community with your with your designer ice cream, you know, using legislation to push mail in voting to protect illegal immigrants. I mean, it's insane. The amount labor unions uh, we can't afford three trillion. I mean, it is a full on. There's no shame in what they are doing here. We can't afford it at this point. Um, so you can have all the extensions. The American people have had it. Now, I'm going to give you some information. You need to know how bad things were in New York and why. Now, by the way, uh, we see it happening in other states. But in New York, for example, I, I was shocked by Governor Cuomo's comments. First thing he said, first thing when he ordered March 28th, COVID-19 patients into nursing homes and long-term care facilities... And then he, when he got called out on it, he said, I'm not responsible for your PPE. I can, if I can help, I'll help, but I'm not responsible. I'm like, yeah, you are. You're, you're demanding 40,000 ventilators. What are you talking about? One of the dumbest decisions. Cuomo, oh, we're New Yorkers. We're prepared. And no, we're not like these other countries. You aren't prepared. And especially since Trump built and manned your hospitals and sent the Navy hospital ship and built the largest hospital and manned that for you and converted it for COVID-19 patients and you didn't use them is just dumb. You own that. And by the way, finally, now the media in New York is actually asking a couple of real questions about it. And Cuomo's actual answer is, well, as a society, you can't save everyone. You're going to lose people. 
That's life. Imagine if Donald Trump said that. We did everything we could. No, you didn't. You should have put him in the, the hospitals that Trump built and manned for you and converted for COVID-19. And he said it six times in a matter of seconds when grilled about this and grilled about their lack of preparedness in this March 25th Department of Health directive barring nursing homes from turning away corona patients. I mean, it is insane. And by the way, it's not just New York. Health officials responsible for overseeing nursing homes in Pennsylvania, where nearly 70 percent of that state's corona uh, virus related deaths occurred. The same thing in New Jersey and the same thing is when that idiot governor in the state of Michigan, they all messed up all these decisions. New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, all of them, Michigan. If you look at the number of deaths, they didn't handle the elderly population. The guy that did it right is Ron DeSantis. It's not political. It just is what it is. Do I think these governors did it on purpose? No, I think they're stupid. I don't think they thought it through. And I think they made a bad call. Now we're finding out, for example, now lawmakers, by the way, uh, in New York, they're, they're now demanding an independent federal investigation. We're talking about thousands of old people that died in New York. Thousands of them. Because they put the COVID-19 patients in there and they didn't use the COVID-19 beds that Donald Trump built and manned for them. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It's like 6,000. Then you have, on top of that, the same thing happened in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And these decisions by these governors with nursing homes turned out to be a disaster. March 29th, as Pennsylvania, New York and other states began ordering these nursing homes to admit Medically stable patients invest in infected with COVID-19. I mean, those were all bad decisions. April 6th, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy followed Cuomo's lead, ordered New Jersey nursing homes to accept patients that tested positive for COVID-19. New Jersey was like New York, offered beds on the USNS Comfort, COVID-ready, COVID-prepared in the Javits Center because New York wasn't using them. So if you look at the states with the highest death rates, yeah, most of them made really dumb and bad decisions. And but we we can learn from it as we try to open them up. You have this New York City health commissioner. You know, I don't give two rats asses about your cops when the NYPD was asking for additional masks for police officers that were contracting covid quote. I don't give two rats asses about your cops. Why does this guy still have a job in New York? Unbelievable callousness. Now the calls for a federal investigation into these states' uh, nursing home scandals is beginning. What mob in the media, they'll never cover it because Cuomo might be the backup should the ever-so-slow, forgetful Joe not be able to make it. But you have tens of millions of Americans, another issue that's emerged. Uh, blue state governors, they keep extending their economic shutdowns uh, guess what is, you know, it's becoming a ghost town in New York. I, I sent out pictures to friends yesterday. I said, you got to take a look at this. But Betsy McCoy had a pretty interesting uh, article about this. If they continue to spread this out and not learn from the manufacturers of medical equipment, not learn from Florida and not learn. This is why I'm telling everybody, why is Sean Hannity saying he wants to wear a mask? Hannity, you're giving in to government tyranny. No, I'm not. You want to know why I'm going to wear a mask? I'll wear a mask because if I ever got this thing, I would never want somebody susceptible to dying from it, from getting it. And I know in my head it's a short period of time. 
I'm doing it to protect the elderly. And that's my answer. Now, I want to see baseball played in stadiums with 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 fans. Same with football. And my plan is, okay, everybody wear a mask. If I have to wear a mask, I'll do it. But we got to get the economy up and we got to get the economy running. We've got to learn something from those places that did it well. Will somebody do a study of all the grocery stores in New York that stayed open and all the people that wore their masks? How many of them contracted COVID-19? Because I'm grilling the people at my grocery stores. Did anyone get it? Did anyone get it? Did anyone get it? Ran into a lady yesterday. I was in the, my local grocery store. She had a shield on. How you holding up? Okay. Anybody here contract the virus? Nope. Nobody. Same at my local pizza place. Same at my local deli. I go see these guys every day. Love these guys. They're my friends. I love them. They're great people. Then you have this idiot in uh, Michigan. I don't have proof about the claim that protesters are spreading the coronavirus. Then she's, you have now, I mean, if you can't cut your lawn, you've gone too far as a governor. But that's how dumb the Michigan governor is. Just like New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. You know, blasting, uh, unimpressed with the continued shutdown. Democratic County executive saying you're wrong. A Michigan sheriff has dismantled the governor's Whitmer's executive orders that they're not clear and concise. Oh, they took away this barber's license because the guy was cutting hair wearing a mask. They took his license away. Um, And, you know, now you got more protests there. You know what Governor DeSantis is doing? Come to Florida. Play your sports here. Come play here. We'll open up for you. We'll do it safely. We'll show you what we did down in Florida. Well, why don't you learn from Florida? What the hell are we doing up here in New York anyway, Linda? What, what are we doing here? This is just dumb. I mean, listen. I'm, They're robbing me blind, you, and it's, it's run by a bunch of idiots. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I'm, the, I'm no fan I've of I've got to get the hell out of here. You know what? Imus, Stern, Rush, they all left. And I'm the only idiot that remains standing here. I'm dumb. All right, ask yourself if this makes sense. So, March 25th, we have the executive order in New York, Governor Cuomo, that literally forced nursing homes, long-term care facilities to accept coronavirus patients, March 25th. March 29th, Pennsylvania follows. Uh, Then we get to April 6th, the same thing in New Jersey. Then we now let's look at and then the the dopey Michigan governor as well. Now, let's look at those that made those decisions. New York, 27,000 plus deaths of COVID-19. New Jersey, 9,700 and some odd deaths. You go to the next state, Massachusetts, 5,315. Then you got Michigan, 4,714. Uh and Pennsylvania, 3,943. Now, compare that to Texas, 1,158. Uh, Florida, with the highest density, highest percentage of elderly population, 1,827. What did they do right? They didn't, for- they didn't protect the old people. There's your answer. That's a big part of the answer. And the reason that people could stock the shelves safely in New York is because they wore the mask. There's another part of the answer. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. I want to get to this Judge Emmett Sullivan here in a second. Um, And I'm going to go over this with Dr. Oz today. What do we learn that we can do? What what states did what right 
And what lessons can we learn if we got to reopen the country safely? Now, because there's a way to do it. There's a ton of lessons to be learned here. I don't think this is an accident in any way. Now, in New York, there are a number of decisions I was very outspoken about. The idea that hospitals were giving hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin and zinc to patients, but they wouldn't allow drugstores to give it to people. That means if you wanted to take the medicine, again, Daniel Wallace, it does no harm. The foremost eminent expert in the entire world on hydroxychloroquine, uh, all his 400 plus peer reviewed articles, his work with rupus, rheumatoid arthritis, antimalarials. This guy knew it all. We read that letter numerous times. That was mistake number one. Big mistake number two, um, and why they didn't lift that order, I don't know. I, to this day, I don't know. Um, telling people it was okay. You had Comrade de Blasio, here are my recommendations. Go out on the town, March 2nd through 5th. Okay. Then Governor Cuomo, March 2nd, we're not like these other countries. We're New Yorkers, you know, that crap. We're prepared. You weren't prepared. The biggest mistake that was duplicated by the states that also have the highest death counts uh, was this charge and directive and executive order barring nursing homes from turning away coronavirus patients. And I, I, I frankly can't believe that the governor's getting away with, first he got away with telling the nursing homes when they started complaining, uh, we're not responsible for your PPE, huh? Now remember, there were, there were stories about they were being sent body bags with the patients. Unbelievable. Uh, as a society, he's now saying, you can't save everyone. You're going to lose people. Imagine Donald Trump saying this. That's life. That's what he said. We did everything we could. Well, they had the hospital beds, but okay, put that aside. Now, the deaths in New York, now fully about a third of them were from nursing homes. That proved to be a really dumb idea. Now, as Cuomo was issuing that directive down in Florida, and I know that early on that Ron DeSantis got criticized because of some spring breakers, but they put an end to that. Turns out the young people weren't, as we were told in the beginning, vulnerable. One thing that did pan out in this, and things went up and down and all over the place, and you kept getting different information, the models always were wrong. And even, you know, the great Dr. Fauci, who I do think is a great man, I'm not disparaging him, uh, he's been wrong a lot. Now, we were all lied to. I would even say that, you know, based on what they knew in early March, Comrade de Blasio, Governor Cuomo, they prop, they believe what they were saying. This was not done maliciously. I just think it was a dumb decision. A lot of dumb decisions made and a, an arrogance that existed that uh, shouldn't have been there. Um, but DeSantis issued his own executive order at the same time. Now, that was regulating patients to nursing homes and long-term care facilities. And what he did that New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Michigan didn't do is he actually sent the National Guard. He literally mobilized every single agency in the state of Florida to protect the elderly community in every nursing home in the state, starting with the villages, America's friendliest hometown. Okay, so we look at now, right after Cuomo did it in New York. Well, you know, I guess you follow. He did it on the 25th, where they forced facilities to accept coronavirus patients, these elderly care facilities. 
Then the Pennsylvania governor did the same darn thing March 9th. Okay, their death rate's horrible, too. And then not to be outdone, the New Jersey governor, Phil Murphy, on April 6th, he follows up and orders New Jersey nursing homes to accept patients who tested positive. Okay, why am I, is this to cast blame? You know, if I was a Democrat, I'd say they have blood on their hands because everybody's saying that about Donald Trump. I don't think they did it maliciously. I just think they're dumb. But now we know better. Now we learned a lesson here. We learned that Florida did it right. If you protect the elderly population and you, you, you really hone in and protect them big time, then you're going to have you're going to save lives, which is should be everybody's goal. I'm not politicizing this. I'm just pointing out what lessons can be learned. Now, in New York, they lost, you know, nearly 28,000 people uh, in New Jersey. Again, they made the bad decision. Nearly 10,000 people. Pennsylvania, nearly 4,000 people. Michigan, nearly 5,000, 4,780 people. Okay, now let's go down to Florida. Well, okay, they have some of the, the, the highest percentage of the elderly population in that state. Because people retire down in Florida. They like the weather. They like paying no taxes. Well, they had fewer than 2,000 deaths down in Florida. In Texas, they have a pretty big population in Texas. They had 1,158. And I'll even give, listen, Gavin Newsom, I think, did a lot of good things. He's a little overboard now in some ways, but I think he did a lot of good things. And compared to New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Pennsylvania, he did light years better with a much larger population. Now, you could say it's less densely populated, but New Jersey's not New York. Michigan's not New York. Pennsylvania's not New York. Uh, A lot of similarities with Texas, California, Florida. You have a lot of people on top of each other, a lot of communities there. Anyway, in California, 2,876 deaths. Again, one life is precious. We believe in life, but we learned. And we learned the hard way. But if we're going to reopen and reopen safely, which we better start considering here, uh, or nobody's going to have any money, then we've got to learn the hard lessons. Who did things right? What can we learn? How did those manufacturers of all the medical equipment protect their employees? Well, in every instance that I see, it was masks and gloves. Because if Pence or the president went to visit one of these places and they didn't wear a mask... They got the living crap beat out of them by the mob and the media while everybody that works in the facility was wearing a mask. In mid-March, Fauci was saying we don't need a mask. So, again, they didn't know. We're learning as we go. Nobody thought. Nobody saw it. Nobody believed. You know, nobody's perfect on these things. Took on a life of its own. Uh, But if we're going to reopen safely, how how did Sean Hannity's favorite Guys that stock the shelves in his grocery store stay safe. I've told you a million times. We can learn from that, too. But there are those that would never want to open up at all. Now, Betsy McCoy, you know, she's not wrong here in this column she puts out. Because as New York, now they're scared to death because they screwed up so badly to make any decision. And anyway, if they, they keep pushing this opening back again and again and again, I'm telling you, New York is like a ghost town. She writes it's a grim prospect, yet officials seem ready to let it happen. And she points out that, you know, the store in the East Village, known since the 1920s for egg creams, is shutting down for good. She's saying that fully 50% of businesses in New York are never going to open again. Let me tell you what is about to happen in New York. They have no idea. 
New York City is about to be, you know, a mini Detroit because people have had it. And the price, the value of, of homes, with high taxation, horrible leadership. People are saying, what the hell am I doing here? Why am I paying all this money in taxes? What am I getting? I asked O'Reilly the other day, and he's like, I'm loyal, Hannity. I'm being loyal to who? All they do is pick our pockets with the worst infrastructure. You know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm making a prediction. How do these stores ever open up again? There's not enough money in the Treasury to pay for all these stores to open up again. And, you know, the answer is what? Uh, we're going to have a, a socialist wish list? No, we can't. We won't survive. America, as we know it, will die. The American people instinctively see and get this. And all we see is coronavirus craziness everywhere. Now we've got a uh, apparently a, a, a mysterious Republican inquiry into a mysterious drone program that people are using to police Americans who aren't social distancing. OK, that's a little too 1984 ish for me. You know, the release of hardened criminals at Rikers. Yeah, 100 of them so far have been arrested again for new crimes. You know, California gave in to Elon Musk at Tesla. He took a pretty hard stand. The Wisconsin Supreme Court struck down the governor, uh, Governor Evers' uh, stay-at-home order. You know, people wanting to go to baseball and, and, and football games this year. Churches across the country now are filing lawsuits because they want to be able to o- open, social distance, wear masks, and do services. You know, then you got people in L.A. like Mayor Garcetti say, I'm, I'm, I won't completely open until we have a cure. Forget about flattening the curve. I thought we were supposed to flatten the curve. You know, now you got in Seattle, a cop was fired for protesting the lockdown as Jay Inslee was declaring he will confine people without food who don't cooperate. What, what we're going to let them die of starvation? Uh, well, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. You know, but he's now out there speaking during an event you know, and he's saying sometimes two stories appear that fit so nicely together. So if you imagine this is all being done by a novelist, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, a police officer spoke out and uh, he gave a viral Instagram post. He refused to take it down. And uh, now they're threatening Jay Inslee laid out plans, statewide contact tracing initiative and so on and so forth. He says it's going to come back and bite us. And Inslee is, you know, now they're putting out there. OK, well, you won't get food. According to Red State, I didn't really read the whole article. Um, I'm just telling you that the American people want to open. And if we can't learn from these these lessons, some of them, the success stories, what do we do right? What do we do wrong? What can we learn from those stories? If we protect the elderly, this is my take, my takeaway. I'm not a doctor, not telling you how to live your life. I'm saying for me, I want to live. For me, I don't want to live in fear. For me... I'm making the decision that I love people too much, and I get it. I'm healthy, relatively young. If I get this thing, the odds are pretty much in my favor. But you know what? For the sake of older people that I might come in contact with, if I have this thing and it could risk their life, I'll wear the mask for the time being because eventually they're going to have some type of treatment. They're going to come up with some other type of testing. They're going to come up with some way to protect people that's even better we've made a lot of strides although it's taken a long time but it's relatively historically quick all right let me get to the greatest crime as the president said political crime in our history and that is what they've been doing to general flint and devin nunes says there will be criminal referrals for Mueller's investigators that is a that is very good news 
We now also know that Comey and Clapper are going to be brought back June 3rd. Lindsey Graham has his hearings. You got the Grassley-Johnson hearings continuing. Comey, of course, uh, said in newly released congressional testimony that Clapper was the one that briefed Obama. Uh, Clapper is saying, oh, I didn't brief Obama. And now Senator Kennedy of Louisiana is saying, well, one of you guys is lying. So you don't have to be a uh, you don't have to be a senior at City College to realize one of them's lying. He says and I think we ought to call them both back in and ask him, which one of you guys is lying to Congress? Then maybe we'll send 29 guys in tactical gear like we did to Roger Stone's house or Paul Manafort's house. Uh, General Flynn was not uh, Judge Sullivan charged with perjury, which would require a materially false statement. Here's what's outrageous about what this Judge Emmett Sullivan did, because he first when when the when the prosecutor and the defense agree to drop the charges, you drop the charges. You don't bring in a third party when the same judge in this case was so arrogant and so wrong. We now know Flynn was unmasked 48 times by two dozen Obama officials in a very short period of time, from Election Day 2016 through the inauguration. And now we now know what they did. We know how they ambushed him. We know McCabe said you don't need a lawyer. We know all of this. Why would Samantha Power put in seven unmasking requests? Clapper needs to answer. Brennan needs to answer. The Treasury Secretary Lou needs to answer. Super Patriot Jim Comey needs to answer. And of all days, January 5th, Dennis McDonough, Obama's chief of staff, why did he submit an, a, an unmasking request? The same day of that infamous meeting where Sally Yates was shocked to learn that Obama knew everything in the phone call with Kiziak and, and uh, General Flynn. Well, how did he know? Who told him? When did he know it? What, what did he know and when did he know it? And then Biden caught red-handed. He put in a request to unmask Flynn. I can't believe it. So now that we know that they sandbagged him, ambushed him, ruined three and a half to four years of his life, made this guy bankrupt, and then threatened to put his own son in jail, even though they didn't think he was lying, what part of this does this judge not understand? Because Sullivan needs to understand what they did here. And if somebody says, sign this, admit to it, or we're going to put your son in jail, most fathers are probably going to sign it. And that practice needs to stop because that lends itself to basically getting a get out of jail free card if you suborn perjury with prosecutorial mis- abuse. And then you got the Judge Sullivan here appointing this retired Judge Gleason, Clinton appointee. This guy already wrote an op ed. The fix is in. He said he's already made his decision. So now we have every second now that's added to General Flynn's long injustice and nightmare. Now is being now it's on the back of of the judge who once accused the basically General Flynn of being a traitor had to apologize. But it's a little late, judge. We see your political bias. You need to be investigated now. And we need a We need a recusal. We need you removed from the case. We need a new venue immediately. I'd bring this to the Supreme Court as fast as possible. Get this guy free. All right, glad you're with us. Hour two, Sean Hannity Show. By the way, Jay Sekulow at the bottom of the hour responding to, I guess now Eric Holder's trying to jump into this whole thing and his law firm uh, and what the judge is doing in the Flynn case. We'll get to that. Um, I'm not afraid to admit that I'm wrong sometimes. 
Now, when Georgia announced, now, by the way, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Governor Kemp. Let me just say it right up front. I thought that the selection of Loeffler, who doesn't have any experience over Doug Collins, was a bad idea. Nobody ever listens to me anyway, but I made my feelings known. And uh, I think when they have their big jumbled up primary down there, that it's it's going to be Doug Collins by a long shot. And I just happen to favor him. Okay, but when the governor announced he was reopening and he was the first to talk about reopening uh, salons, for example, for people to get manicures and pedicures and tattoo parlors, which I didn't understand. That made no sense to me. Then when I saw how they were doing the manicure pedicure thing and you have literally the plexiglass built up, both the uh, customer and the person given the manicure have have masks uh, on the person given the manicure has gloves on. And I, and it was at a bigger distance than usual. And you put your hands under the plexiglass. I said, you know what? That could work. That makes sense to me. I want to learn from those things that worked and those that didn't. And it appears Coronavirus cases in Georgia and Florida have now declined by 12 and 14 percent, respectively, according to Axios. And new cases in Florida declined 14 percent compared to the previous week. Georgia fell by 12 percent. Now they've been open. You know, again, they've they've had a reopening now a couple of weeks. Why I was nervous about Georgia was if if they got it wrong, they would have bludgeoned Kemp and bludgeoned any attempts to reopen anything. Now, what else have we learned? Well, we look now at and and I'm not do, I'm not playing politics here. I am just giving facts and information because it matters. What can we learn that we did right? The manufacturers of healthcare equipment, and we're going to get to Dr. Oz on this in a sec. The health the manufacturers of all the health equipment, every bit of it that New York needed in the middle of this pandemic, it only existed because they never shut down those facilities. I'd not heard about any outbreak. In any manufacturing center uh, that was making medical equipment that kept New York alive. I've not heard about an outbreak for food producers and farmers and packers and truckers. And I keep talking about the guy that stocks the shelves that I talk to every week at my local grocery store. Now, okay, now Florida had a mobilization of the National Guard and every state agency, and they targeted long term care facilities for the elderly, the villages, and nursing homes they went into all of them and about you have a and they have a very high population of of elderly people and wow when you look at the death rate is so dramatically lower than states like new york pennsylvania new jersey and michigan now march 25th is when governor cuomo forced nursing homes and elder care facilities to accept coronavirus patients that was march 25th march 29th pennsylvania followed new york Then on April 6th, New Jersey followed New York and Pennsylvania. And we already know how bad Michigan has been. Now, when you look at the total number of deaths, New York now closing in on 28,000, New Jersey 9,702, Massachusetts was high. They made similar mistakes. Then you look at Pennsylvania, nearly 4,000, Michigan 4,780. Then we go down to Florida and Texas, big states, right? And, And Georgia. All right. Neither one of them is near 2000, 1100 in Texas, 1800 in Florida, 1500 in in Georgia. Now, one death is too many. We don't want anybody to die at all. Now, how do we apply these lessons to opening things up safely? 
Dr. Oz, we bring you in. I'm not playing politics here. I am looking for solutions here. Well, if you look at the countries that have been successful so far, and it's so early, as you point out, and you look at the states that so far are uh, heading towards opening without major catastrophes. You mentioned Georgia, where there are just over 1,500 cases, and it's like, I think, 1,800, less than 1,800 in Florida. They, they do a couple of things really important. First off, uh, even if we don't have all the testing we need, they know who to test. So they go after the folks that are most at risk. And you point out the nursing homes, one-third of all COVID deaths, one-third are in yep. nursing homes. And in some states, it's more than that, as you pointed out many times. And 80% of the deaths are on folks over 65, but I actually focus more on risk factors. You have diabetes, high blood pressure. You know, almost 90% of hospitalized patients from the big Northwell system here in New York had two, not just one, had at least two chronic medical conditions. So we know the folks that are at risk. If we can keep them from getting infected, taking, doing whatever it takes, and, you know, Going to nursing homes and protecting them and making sure there's strong rules and, uh, and they're well taken care of is important. Sweden's major downfall, by the way, was they couldn't do that because they're privately owned. They couldn't enforce the rules early on. Now they're on top of that as well. But outside of that exception, they were generally doing well. It's a very different country than us. Less obesity. Uh, you know, they, 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 they don't live in big family groups. I mean, there's other reasons we, it's harder to emulate them. But other than that, they've done okay, and they never closed. So the question for us is, can we focus in on these vulnerable populations, keep them safe, while letting the rest of the population that doesn't seem to get hospitalized that nearly as frequently, so if they get COVID-19, they'll either be asymptomatic or symptoms small enough that you know, they're at home for, uh, for quarantine, but they're not home because they're deathly ill. And I think we can. So if we take the lessons, okay, they didn't they made really dumb decisions in these states by allowing COVID-19 patients among the most vulnerable population. That's not playing politics. And you can see it is a dramatic difference versus what Florida did. They have a high percentage of the population as the elderly. They retire down there. Um, Now, when I look at all the medical manufacturers, Dr. Oz, and then I look at my buddy that stocks the shelves that I put on the radio this week. I see. I saw him every week. He's in the epicenter of this. Every store in New York stayed open, grocery store. Everyone was full with everything you need except toilet paper and, and paper towels. And he's there every week. They all had gloves and masks. All the medical machinery manufacturers, equipment manufacturers, they all wore gloves and masks. So between those two big components, and we didn't see major outbreaks, can we learn that that's how you do it safely or a big part of it? It's a big part has been studied now. There was a study just today that looked at how much sputum comes out of your mouth when you speak loudly. And it's enough to percolate for eight minutes around your head and involve anyone near you. So if you're in a meatpacking facility working elbow to elbow, face to face with people as the carcass comes down the, the, uh, the, tr- the trolley. And well, you're you know, making my steak meat. sound very, very appealing for tonight. Go ahead. <laughs> as the <laughs> carcass comes. Now, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> That population is going to have a more difficult time than, than medical workers who are wearing masks where you can actually distance them. But I tell you, you could do that also in the meatpacking facilities. And I've spoken to folks because I'm, I'm fascinated and very worried about the fact that our supply chain uh, was as fragile as it appears it was. But thankfully, you know, people are, are trying to fix it aggressively. And one of the th- issues is uh, can you put barriers between these workers? Can you make sure they don't work opposite each other, stagger them a tiny bit? And I think you can but the other thing I want to point out, this is pretty critical, you'll notice that in New York State, 66% of the hospitalized patients now were already sheltering, right? Eight, more than 80% were either retired or they weren't working. They're, they're staying at home. 
And so they're still getting sick. So one major theme, and this may have happened in the meatpacking facilities as well, a lot of times if in, these, uh, in these families, you, you go home, Right? Whether you caught the virus at home or you got it from someone else who's working elsewhere, you're in a crowded environment where everyone's sort of on top of each other. It's very hard to socially distance at home. So if you've got 10 people in the family, one person gets sick, the whole family goes down. That's what happened in Italy more than anything else because they all live together. So in our country, we're going to have to aggressively go after that. In the more impoverished communities, how do we protect people who are vulnerable? So if the young people and their kids get sick, it doesn't involve grandma who can't afford to get ill. Okay, now you're bringing up another part. We'll call this part C of reopening safely. All right, we had three meat processing plant outbreaks, one in South Dakota, one in Iowa, one in Washington State, if I'm not mistaken. In all three cases, we jumped on it. We consider that a hot spot, and they were able to, as I understand it, successfully stop the spread um, of the virus and reopen at least two of the states that I know of. All right. Now, the shelter in place issue is fascinating to me because what you're saying there is when people live on top of each other, when young people are out and about and maybe not socially distancing or wearing masks, they bring it home to the to grandma, grandpa or or elderly parents. And that's how they're getting sick. That would tell me that if we love our parents and grandparents and we're younger and healthier, that the reason you're going to again, this is temporary, wear a mask is to protect them when you do go home. Without question, it is the most loving thing you can do. You know, all my nurses, last week I was, we were out giving nurses meals just because it was National Nurses Week, just trying to say thank you. And they all came back to me and told me the same thing. If you want to say thank you, I appreciate the meal, but if you want to say thank you, wear a mask. That's what they want from us, and that's what I want for everyone hearing right now. It is the simple, easiest thing. Now, it doesn't guarantee you won't have an issue. Wearing these masks correctly is not always easy. Not all masks are equally good, and all those things. It doesn't reduce it to zero, but it makes a dent. The other reality is if there's a member of your family who you know is frailer, is there a way of getting them out of a crowded environment? Can you send them somewhere where they can stay with other members of the family where they're not quite as exposed? We did that in our family. And others may have the ability, may not. But this is the time to chip it and help out. If you can adopt someone to come stay with you because it's a most dispersed area, they have a little more room, more rural area, this is a good time to get out of congested cities if you're older and frail. When you see what's going on in New York and how empty it is, Betsy McCoy had an article. It's scary. I don't think half of New York stores can open up again. I don't think they're ever going to open up again. I don't think they can survive. Well, the reason I'm confident that we'll get through this is I'm seeing what's happening in other countries. And it's not easy. Everyone's finding their own path through it. And we're also in New York. Uh, you know, we're different than Georgia, right? So we should learn from what's happening in yeah, Georgia. We're, we're, we're dumb because we stay here and pay taxes with the worst infrastructure and the highest taxes and everything. Sorry, and the, and the dumbest yeah. politicians, but that's my comment, not yours. Go ahead. We, we stay here for the people because we love other New Yorkers. We love the energy. Uh, we love the fact that stuff gets done. I mean, it's cool that we didn't back our way into this place. We, we, I came here. I'm not from New York originally. So I love what New York represents, but that congestion um, and some of our social issues have created other problems that are not just unique to New York. They're in other parts of the world and even in this country, but we happen to have a major debolus of it. If we can figure it out, it will be helping everybody. And I'm confident medical technology is going to advance. 
Uh, I still believe that by early 2021, despite all the conversations over the last 24 hours, we're going to have some vaccines that can be given perhaps to the most urgently in need, nursing home folks, older folks, who, as long as we're sure it's safe. Uh, but And I think we'll open our stores because I think we're going to find that the virus doesn't hurt younger Americans as, as much. And so eventually we'll get to a place where people feel safe again. It's going to take us a while. It'll happen. But in the meantime, we don't want to throw away all that wonderful progress we've made shutting down an infection that was ravaging us. So if we target and protect the elderly, really hone in on all these nursing care facilities, elder care facilities, really target it, make sure that they're safe. They're not taking in COVID-19 patients, for example. Uh, and if younger people are willing to continue to social distance, wear masks, like the medical manufacturers and the, the, the farmers and packers, truckers, and the guys that stock the shelves, even in the epicenter of this, that wore them and stayed safe, uh, then they won't go home with the virus and impact older people in their lives. How far along are we towards a reopening then? Well, what percent, if you could put point. a number on it? I mean, I, I, I think that by July, I can, it's data, not dates that matter, but since you're asking me my personal opinion, I think by July uh, we'll start to open New York and hopefully with successful results following the guidelines. Not, you know, New York, Northern New York State's opening now, but the, the city itself will start to open. And I'm also of, uh, hopeful that, that we're going to be able to be smarter and smarter about the tactics we, date, we do take. And, you know, I, I just did a show today with the, these wonderful tr- public health officials. These guys are the ones that go out there and do the screening. You're going to be called by someone if you're listening right now. If someone tests positive, you're going to get a phone call from your local Department of Health. They're going to introduce themselves. They're going to say, anonymously, we have someone who thinks they can't do in contact with you. Uh, we want you to take the following precautions. Please do these things. So you, please don't get close to someone who's vulnerable and ill. And that as way long as they maintain medical privacy. I mean, I could Complete see these privacy. guys abusing all this privacy this is the most important it will john it would kill this effort if they weren't keeping it private they're not going to yep. ask you any of your data they're just going to help you understand what the potential risks are yeah. and help you find better ways to take care of yourself if you need it but there's going to be if you're not, if you're out of job right now these are online courses online courses and it's a great job to have and you'll be doing a great service for the country and we're going to be hiring hundreds of thousands of people to do that at least for the I, next year to get us through this all right, Dr. Oz, always the best. Medical A team, appreciate all your help as always. Looking for solutions. All right, 800-941-SEAN. Uh, all right, let's say hi to Scott in Rhode Island. Hey, Scott, how are you? I know Rhode Island got hit hard midway between New York and uh, Boston. What's going on? Not much. Uh, real frustrated today. Um, I'm a coach in the youth little league here, and uh Florida and Arizona came out today uh, stating that uh, they're going to continue and they're going to allow youth sports, uh, and our governor has decided not to. Um, however, she's allowing summer camps uh, that start on June 29th. Um, so unless something changes with the CDC guidelines, uh, we're pretty much out. Um, so Look, it happened. Said, both, I, both my kids are athletes, and, you know, one had their season shut down. One is uh, worried about next season, you know? Yeah, and, you know, uh, my guy's a 12-year-old this year, so it's the last year on the little field. Um, And, you know, a sport like that, there's some things that we can do, such as limiting the amounts of kids on per team, uh, staggering times, uh, you know, calling balls and strikes from behind the the pitcher's mound and things like that. So it's just, uh, it's incredibly disappointing. I think if we use our ingenuity, and this is what we learned, the medical manufacturers that kept us alive, they did it safely. The food supply chain was was done safely. 
the stores kept open safely. If they ever shut down, New York and, and other states were dead. So we got to learn from what they did right. Florida did a great job. I wanted to ask you a follow-up question I didn't get to ask during the ceremony about the Russia probe right now. Why did you decide to unmask so many individuals in 2016? Was it, gonna, was it's it false? I wanted you to clear yeah. the record. What, why is it false? Excuse me, I'm trying to talk to why, the I'm just asking why it was completely false. false. Some Republicans have called on investigators to probe whether or not the Obama administration top officials inappropriately unmasked members of the Trump team. Is that a serious question that you're pursuing now, or is it, as some have suggested, a political sideshow? Uh, it really is uh, a sideshow. Uh, there are always questions you can ask about any of the procedures that are used by the intelligence community, but we see no evidence of any malicious uh, unmasking. There was no evidence of any malice, no backdoor surveillance. So then they moved on to yet another theory, and that is, well, names were improperly or politically unmasked. There's been no evidence of any politics involved in unmasking. And so it's not. That's not my question. My question was, <clears throat> we're getting ready to maybe reauthorize 702. I don't think we ought to reauthorize it until we find out from the intelligence community where there are no indictments that have been issued against the intelligence community based upon the statements that you have made to see whether or not they're violating the law and they refuse to give this committee the information about how many people have been caught up in that uh, and we've been, it's been stonewalled by the intelligence community saying, well, we just can't, can't do it. Why can't the uh, intelligence community get some geek over at uh, Best Buy and have them come in and answer that question with a few little taps into the big computer system? We just want the number. The time of the gentleman has expired. The witness may answer the question. As I explained, Congressman, I've heard Director Coates explain this, and uh, uh, he's better positioned than I. <laughs> so we don't know. Still don't know. The second term of Obama, especially in 2016, a 300, nearly a 300 percent increase in unmasking. We started covering this in March of 2017. More vindication. The mob, they were on their, to their conspiracy theories. Now we know that between Election Day and the inauguration of Donald Trump, we know Obama administration officials unmasked General Flynn 48 times, nearly two dozen Obama officials. And now we know the people that were involved. Why, why would an, a, a U.N. ambassador like Samantha Powers submit seven unmasking requests? You know, I've been asking what is Clapper's role? Well, he had three of them. John Brennan, two of them. Why would the secretary of the Treasury under Obama unmask anybody? Well, he unmasked Flynn. Another two. Super Patriot Jim Comey. He unmasked Flynn. Uh, Dennis McDonough on that infamous day, January 5th, the day that Sally H. said she was shocked after a meeting with all of these key players that Obama told him and Jim Comey he knew everything about every detail of the phone calls with General Flynn. Who told him? What did he know? When did he know it? We also know quid pro quo Joe he was present at the meeting, and Joe Biden himself directly submitted a request to unmask General Flynn. Now, the day before yesterday, he said he knew nothing about any investigation into Flynn. He was lying. So what because did you know about those moves to investigate uh, Michael Flynn, and was there anything improper done? 
I know nothing about those moves to investigate Michael Flynn. I do want to press that. You say you didn't know anything about it, but you were reported to be at a January 5th, 2017 meeting where you and the president were briefed on the FBI's plan to question Michael, Michael Flynn over those uh, conversations he had with the Russian ambassador Kislyak. No, I thought you asked me whether or not I had anything to do with him being prosecuted. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I was aware that there was, that there, they asked for an investigation. But that's all I know about it. That's all I know. Well, you called for it. You unmasked him. And, uh, you know, the president is right. This is the biggest political scandal, abuse of power, corruption scandal in history. And Joe Biden is a liar, as many of the others have have lied and lied repeatedly. You know, you, you watch John Brennan. None of these people admitted all this. Now we also know. Adam Schiff said in October 2017, oh, October 2017, oh, there's no evidence of any malicious unmasking. Uh, now we get to the issue of this judge. And it is shocking that when you have now the Department of Justice and obviously General Flynn uh, now saying they want to drop the case because of all the improprieties that we have now learned in this case. What's our what's our goal here to get an admission? What on the Logan Act? Or to, to get him to lie? Is that the job of the FBI, to get somebody to lie, create a perjury trap after the deputy FBI director says you don't need a lawyer and the, de- the director of the FBI says I sent them in, something I'd never do or get away with in any other administration, taking advantage of the chaos on day four of the Trump administration? Now all of the, Now we have the DOJ's request to drop all charges, and now you have Judge Emmett Sullivan you know, who has shown nothing but rampant bias in this case, once insinuating in the courtroom that General Flynn is guilty of treason, accused a 33-year veteran general of betraying his country. That in itself is an unforgivable comment. Well, now we see that he has decided to enlist the help of a Clinton appointee who, by the way, himself has already weighed in on the case uh, against the attorney general. Well, that's not somebody that I think is this retired judge. His name is John Gleason. He had already written that he doesn't agree with the attorney general. Well, why wouldn't they vacate this, accept this? Now that Judge Emmett Sullivan is even thinking about contempt charges because they are withdrawing their plea. Jay Sekulow is with us, chief counsel, American Center for Law and Justice, and also counsel for the president. Jay, there's a lot to unwrap here. Yep. Your thoughts. I, you want to start? Uh, let me start with one thing that you just said, Sean, that I, it, I've been practicing law for 40 years, four decades. I have never seen a situation where both the government and the accused agree that the prosecution should not have gone forward. And thus, the guilty plea should be withdrawn. And a judge appoint what is effectively a special counsel. Here we go again to investigate now General Flynn to see if by pleading guilty after being pressured and, and the normal things that go in with plea negotiations, that he committed a, a, a perjury against the court. And Judge Sullivan, I think, is just really way out of line here. And um, I, I've never seen anything like it. It's unprecedented. Well, I mean, now justice delayed, justice denied. I mean, in the last few weeks, what have we learned? That the FBI ambushed uh, uh, General Flynn, you know, when the when when a deputy FBI director McCabe says you don't need a lawyer when he did, when you got the FBI director admitting that, in fact, 
uh, he sent his guys in and, and did something he'd never do under normal circumstances. That sounds like a setup. They didn't think he was lying, Jay. The guy goes bankrupt. The guy loses his home. And now we know the prosecutorial abuse that took place is they threatened to put his kid in jail. Now, Jay, I, I know you as a loving father. If you're told to either sign this or I'm putting yep. your kids in jail, I think you're going to sign it. Exactly. And this is, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, however side of the equation you come on, this is that stuff is unfortunately typical in, in plea uh, negotiations or plea, plea arrangements where they basically use a threat. Sometimes it's the spouse. Sometimes it's the kids. Now, here's the thing. And again, the unprecedented nature of this is you've got the government and the accused agreeing that this should go. And this judge is now the roadblock for justice. And he says he has this inherent authority to appoint a, a judge who's already opined on the situation, who's a retired judge, and he's already opined on the situation and called into question uh, Attorney General Barr's motives. It, it just is beyond the pale of, of judicial responsibility and completely flaunts the, comp- the Constitution of the United States. I, I'm, I'm never... I'm, I'm, I'm never speechless, but if I ever was going to be, this gets pretty close to it. General Flynn was not charged with perjury, Jay Sekulow. That would require uh, a materially false statement made under oath with the intent to deceive. Now, we did get a glimpse in the materials that have been laid out of the original 302. And what we learned is, is that when the question specifically was asked about uh, the phone call in question with this Russian Kislyak and General Flynn, the call in question that when Strzok and this other agent interviewed General Flynn, he said, I remember the call. I, I, I don't remember that specifically. Now, that is not lying. That can't be in any way defined as lying. They didn't even think right. he was lying on that. Correct. So, I mean, you know, Sean, go back to the, this whole idea of how this started. Remember, it was the case was closed. The field agents, which are the ones that do the, the day-to-day work on the investigation, said there is nothing there. There is no, we can find no material misstatements. We can't find any violations of law. We should close it. Then Peter Strzok grabs it right before the closing memos going to be delivered and says, not so quick, we're, we're, we're doing Operation Crossfire Razor. Then Jim Comey sneaks in two FBI agents and, and says, oh, I'll get away with this. I normally would not. But, you know, there was a White House counsel at the White House. It's not like he couldn't have made the call, Jim Comey. I think his day will come. I mean, whether he'll be indicted or not, I have no idea. But his credibility has now gone to zero, which is what it should be. And when you ever hear him talk about this stuff, well, he I- laughs. They ruined a man's life, and he, his response is to laugh. McCabe lied under oath. Uh, he had a referral by the IG. Same with Jim Comey. Um, now we're also finding out, we, we know that both House Intel Chair Trey Gowdy uh, we now got to read the transcripts and Devin Nunes, who didn't lie to the American people like Adam Schiff did. Um, now, Nunes said uh, uh, yesterday uh, on Lou Dobbs's show, you're only seeing the folks that unmasked General Flynn, by the way, in only a short period of time. He said the reality is there were a whole lot of other Americans on the Trump transition team that were unmasked and those that need to be made public also. Trey Gowdy said it's not just Michael Flynn. There was an unmasking request made the morning of the inauguration. Quote, President Trump's family members' names were unmasked. Now, at different times during this whole investigation that we did on radio and TV, Jay, I was told guys like John Solomon, Sarah Carter, Sean Hannity might have been unmasked. I don't know if any of that's true, but I was told that numerous times. I didn't think there'd be 302s with my name on them, nor did I think my text messages 
that were private would ever be released either, Jay. Well, I mean, look, the invasions of privacy here are now legendary. The uh, You mentioned the 302s. I mean, look, the, the fact is that this entire investigation from the moment it started till where we are today has been a complete fraud on the American people. But this happened under Bob Mueller's watch. He should be ashamed of himself for what allowing these people to do what they did here. Now, I do have confidence in, in Bill Barr and I have confidence in John Durham that they're going to get, they are getting to the bottom of this and, and getting to the bottom of this quickly. And I'll take it a step further. I think, Sean, that when you talk about unmasking and you talk about the short time frame, this is days before the new administration was going in and one unmasking the day, the morning of. These people were out to destroy this president before he took, put his hand on the Bible and took the oath of office. Who's going to be charged with a crime? Because if 29 guys in tactical gear and frogmen and CNN cameras are going to have a pre-dawn raid on Roger Stone and then a jury four person that already hates Roger Stone is going to lead that jury and Manafort the pre-dawn raid and Papadopoulos and now General Flynn, uh, how come these other guys never get arrested for the same things that they that we have report after report after report that they committed the same types of uh, crimes? Well, you're not John Durham, and I'm not John Durham, and you're not Bill Barr, and I'm not Bill Barr. And they have a job to do, and they're doing it. And unlike the way some of these things went down, I, I'm hopeful that they will follow. I know they will. I'm not hopeful. I know they will. They're going to follow the evidence, follow where it leads, and if there's violations of law, people will be brought to justice. And I believe that is going to happen. And I'm, I'm convinced that the first move here was this to, to undo this injustice against General Flynn. I think it's a big part of it. But if they were surveilling and unmasking the the Trump family and people as other yeah. people associated with Trump, uh, it sounds to me I would use the word soft coup. Is that hyperbole or closer to reality? No, I think I mean, I've said the phrase soft coup. This was people that did not want the president to be in office were then trying to get him removed from office before it started. And it culminated in the Mueller report, which got them nothing. And then what happens? Well, then we have the. Ukraine uh, impeachment, which, of course, the president gets acquitted on both charges. So, you know, what is it going to be next? And then it's, you know, we're going to clear General Flynn. Oh, the judge, the federal judge is not going to allow him to be cleared. I mean, this, is, right, how, Jay, this so is how bizarre this has become. People need to be held accountable. Or else I think, look, I think the good guys win in the end and justice will be served. Patience is and who first. wins in 173 days? I hope the American the people have a full picture. I, I think, look, I think that the president has, this is my view, Sean, I'm not a political you know, expert on uh, any stretch of the imagination, but um, there's a lot of explaining that ha would have to be done by Joe Biden, both on a policy perspective and also what was he doing on masking Flint? Why was Samantha Powers on masking Flint, too, by the way? The U.N. ambassador. And great questions. All right, Jay Sekulow, thank you. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. Sean, I am very confident that the Chinese Communist Party will pay a price for what they did here, certainly from the United States. I don't know exactly what form that'll take. Our, our focus today isn't on that. It's on making sure we keep Americans safe, take down the health risk, keep people uh, healthy as we can and get this economy going back. Um, but I'm very confident. I talk to business people all around the country. I talk to ordinary citizens, people who have put their lives at risk over the last weeks. 
They know that this is a result of this virus that originated in Wuhan, China, and they know that the Chinese government didn't do the things it needed to do. Uh, there will be a cost associated with that. We need to focus on the here and now, and there'll be a time to make sure that we get this right, to make sure that we're not dependent on China for our pharmaceutical goods and all the things that we've seen that we just didn't have right and that President Trump had identified early on as things we needed to fix in the relationship between the United States Los Angeles just said they may actually extend the shutdown well, throughout the summer. I, I think Elon Musk is fighting back, obviously. He's doing the right thing. I'm all for him. Uh, Los Angeles, I think they're doing that for political reasons. Look, the, le the less successful we are in opening, the better they are probably, maybe, for an election. But I'm letting people know, in many cases, they're doing it just for political purposes. So you think that you they would rather see a recession, a terrible economy, joblessness, than have you get another term? They would rather see our country fail. They would rather see our country fail, and you know what that means, because part of failure is death. They would rather see that than have me get elected. I've driven them crazy. I don't know what it is. There's truth. Donald Trump has lives in their minds. News Roundup, Information Overload, Hour 800-941-SHAWN. You want to be a part of the program. You know, when you look at now, from the minute Donald Trump comes down the escalator with Melania Trump, and you look on, look at the rage, the hate, the never-ending Trump psychotic derangement syndrome, it's real. I mean, you just think about the breathtaking hypocrisy. You have 99% state-run media mob, ABC, NBC, CBS, fake news, CNN, conspiracy TV, Area 51, Roswell, Rachel Maddow, MSDNC. They're all state-run television. They're all propaganda networks. It's every second minute hour of every day. You got the New York Toilet Paper Times. You got the Washington Post. They hate Donald Trump. There's nothing Donald Trump will ever get credit for. He sets the best economy up, record low unemployment for every demographic in the country, kept every promise he made as president. He is in the middle of impeachment, but yet he is putting in place a travel ban. And then he's following it up with a quarantine. Then he's following it up with subsequent travel bans. Then he bails out New York in a massive way. And they're too stupid to even use all of his help. The beds at the Javits Center, covert converted, personnel included. Same with the, the hospital ship, Navy hospital ship, the Comfort. But think about this. They, they only care about Russia, but they ignore the Russian disinformation dossier of Hillary Clinton. They care about obstruction of justice, but not Hillary's emails. They care. They don't care at all about the rule of law and due process uh, and the fact that a, an unverifiable dossier that they were warned not to use was used to get a warrant to deny an American a civil rights, civil liberties. They didn't care about that. They didn't care that Donald Trump, four investigations later, no Trump-Russia collusion, but Russian disinformation Hillary pays for. They never talk about it. They care about a quid pro quo, but not with Joe and zero experience Hunter. They're all I-believers, but when somebody far more credible than the Kavanaugh accuser comes out, that has witnesses, corroboration, and a haunting call from her mother from 1993 on Larry King describing what happened. They ignore that, too. They take on breathtaking hypocrisy. They couldn't be more wrong more often, but there's an obsession. They'll ignore that for a process crime, 29 guys in tactical gear show up at Roger Stone's house. Same thing with Manafort's house. In Stone's case, they even bring in CNN cameras for a process crime. 
but they'll ignore that guys like Comey and McCabe had referrals for the same things. They don't even talk about it, ever. Then uh, then we have a jury for person that we know now was prejudiced publicly against Roger Stone and was the lead juror in that case, but we don't get it. That's a fair and impartial jury. He doesn't get another trial. Judge said no. Then you have the case, what we learned with General Flynn. Look what they did to General Flynn. Well, what's our goal here? To get an admission or to get him to lie so we can prosecute him? Or is that what the FBI is supposed to do? And the media ignores it all. Here you have a judge in the in the case of General Flynn. Same thing. Anyway, joining us, the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, Andy Biggs, Representative Jim Banks, House Armed Services Committee. Let's start with uh, General Flynn and Judge Sullivan and more importantly, what we're learning about this Clinton appointee judge, uh, which shocks my conscience and soul, the retired judge. You know, literally, John Gleason had written a piece, a piece slamming the Justice Department already. So it's a foregone conclusion where the Emmett Sullivan appointed uh, judge is going with this case. Why, why is this judge denying General Flynn, when both sides want to drop the case after what we've learned, why are they denying that Andy Biggs? Well, it's obviously for political reasons, because in reality, Sean, there is no, uh, they wanted to get amicus curiae. You can't get amicus curiae. That's ridiculous. The Supreme Court actually just ruled recently. You can't shape a case with use of amicus. He's abused his power. If he wants to prosecute the case, he should take off his robe. He should go back and see if he can get into the U.S. Attorney's Office. And even then, I wouldn't trust him to be there. And uh, this, in my opinion, is all politically motivated. And uh, actually, my, my staff is looking into remedies that Congress might have against some judge, a federal judge, who has abused his power and his oath of office. And your take, Congressman Banks? Well, I couldn't agree more with my friend uh, Andy Biggs, uh, Sean. Uh, General Flynn is a real American hero. As someone who's worn the uniform myself, they don't get better than him. And I, I got to tell you, my, my phone rang off the hook yesterday. I got so many text messages from ticked off Hoosiers that couldn't believe that a judge would abuse his power in the way that he has. And I, I look forward, Andy, to working with you to hold this judge accountable for a, abuse of power that's so, so uh, blatant in broad daylight. We, we can't let this judge off the hook for acting uh, in the way that he is. What, is. what choices do you have that would be available to you? Well, Sean, uh, and I look forward to working with you, Jim, on uh, the number one thing is the nuclear option, of course, and that is drafting articles of impeachment. And that's what we're looking into very closely. Um, Of course, you could censure him. But the reality is, if you've got an oath of office, if you have a judge doing something that in all the cases I ever worked on, all the cases I ever tried, I never saw a judge... Um, tell the prosecutor, no, you can't dismiss this case. They might question it, but they would dismiss the case if that was on the prosecutor's motion. This is actually uh, conduct that is highly unusual, uh, so unusual I never saw it in the whole time I practiced. And so I think we can uh, look at drafting articles of impeachment for violating your oath of office. I'll tell you the sick thing in all of this, he's like, you know, uh, you know, now we have a, a, a blatant disregard. Uh, and by the way, he's, he's also disregarding precedence as it relates to this particular very specific issue with the higher courts. 
you know, we know where John Gleason stands because he wrote this piece in the Washington Post. So that's a foregone conclusion. So the only reason he's doing this is because he thinks that he knows better. But what part of him not understanding? Number one, it wasn't a perjury charge. General Flynn, uh, that would require a materially false statement made under oath with the intent to deceive. They didn't think he was deceiving anybody. And this idea of holding somebody in contempt for withdrawing a plea, well, what part of him having gone bankrupt, lost his house, uh, them threatening to put his son in jail or sign the paper, does this judge not understand? And and by the way, this whole practice of, well, if you tell us what we want to hear or you sign what we want you to sign, uh, then we're going to give you this or that, that has to stop in all of these proceedings because that lends itself to this type of prosecutorial abuse of power, uh, Andy Biggs, and they do it all the time. Well, if you tell us this about this person, we'll give you a lighter sentence, a get-out-of-jail-free card in many instances. No, Sean, you're exactly right. I mean, you see this over and over again, and they use this as leverage. And what it is is it's kind of a Soviet-style tactic, to be honest with you, and you but it happens frequently, and it's used to leverage um, to get additional evidence on somebody else, or t- in this case, to to get a confession. That's what they wanted. They wanted him to come and stand before the court and give a factual basis and uh, that he did something wrong. And he was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, and I, I blame a lot of that uh, uh, on the FBI for sure, but also on his previous attorneys. I mean, we I, I really want to look at, the, at them a little bit and see, see what happened there, because uh, I'm not sure he was represented adequately. That's for sure. Now, both of you, Congressman Banks, Congressman Biggs, are involved in different bills to block investments in our Adversaries Act as yours. Uh, uh, We know that, uh, uh, Congressman Banks. Tell us what that is about. In other words, people investing or, you know, state pensions, for example, investing heavily in Chinese companies affiliated with the Chinese military. Uh, and even some yeah. with human rights abuses. Why has that been going on? It's unbelievable to me, Sean. I mean, I, as, as somebody who's been, been following this and learning so much more to find out that the federal pension uh, thrift savings plan was about to invest in China's uh, uh, military shipbuilding, fighter jets, a company called Hike Vision that produces the surveillance equipment they use to persecute the Uyghur Muslims in China. And we were about to allow our federal pension to invest in the military of an adversary, all the while we're building up our own military to try to try to exceed the capabilities of China's military. Most of the state pensions in the United States already do this. CalPERS in California is the worst offender of doing just that. And they've got some interesting ties uh, to, to some of these uh, uh, companies and egregious examples of this as well. So you've, you've got that going on. You've also got China uh, seizing the moment and taking advantage of America while our economy is on its knees by swooping in and making predatory investments of some of our uh, companies with new innovation and in the, in, in the military space. We've got to stop that, and that's why I've, I've introduced a couple of bills lately that would do that. Really, really good news this week, Sean, that President Trump and Secretary Scalia at Labor, who have never met, never worked with them, but in my book, he's a rock star for what he did this week in stopping the thrift savings plan, uh, and with the, with the president uh, getting out and being a leader on this as well, stopping the, the thrift savings plan from making those types of 
investments in uh, China's military. Well, that's got to stop. All right, both of you on reopening the country. Where you stand, Andy Biggs, I think we can do it safely. I think we learned a lot from Ron DeSantis versus New York, Pennsylvania, and uh, New Jersey. And Michigan did a horrible job, but Florida got it right. They targeted protecting the older, older people, more susceptible. Uh, also, I can tell you from the epicenter of this, those that wore their gloves and masks in stores, in grocery stores, keeping our, our shelves stocked, in drug stores that I would go to, they all ended up okay. So wearing masks seems to work. Yeah, Sean, I'm, I'm, I think we should open up. I think we should open up uh, last week, actually. I think we can protect uh, the, the vulnerable populations. We know who they are. Uh, I trust the American people. They, we're used to being free. We want to be free. Uh, and I think with freedom, of course, comes responsibility. So I just, I, I, if you feel insecure, uh, I think you should stay in, sure. If you feel comfortable going out, by all means go. If you feel comfortable, open up your business. I think that should happen uh, because we have a massive amount, 36 million people unemployed. If we can get this thing open, I think we can start uh, getting building a runway to, to uh, transition back to a strong economy that uh, was the world's best. You know, President Trump gave us a great economy. Congress helped. But I, I think we can get back to it again, but it's going to take opening up now, not later, not three months from now in some places. Well, that's my point, Congressman Banks. If, if these guys stopped working in the grocery stores where I live, we would have starved to death. If the people in the drug stores where I lived would have stopped working, we would have not had any medicines. Uh, if the people all around the country manufacturing all the medical equipment New York needed, uh, our first-line defenders wouldn't have been protected, and we wouldn't have been able to save as many lives as we saved. But they kept working. They never shut down. Obviously, they did it safely. You, you would think we'd apply those lessons. That, that's right. That's exactly right, Sean. In, in Indiana, we, we don't like to be told what to do. We're going to do the right thing if you give us a chance to do that. And, and that's what our, our state opened back up this week. I took my wife out to dinner last night. I got a haircut on Monday. Uh, there's no way we will get our economy back on track uh, without getting our workers back to work. And, and I know in Indiana, we're showing the rest of the country exactly how you can do that in a safe manner, a responsible manner, using common sense, wear a mask, wear gloves, uh, show, show, uh, show everyone around you that you're willing to do it, and they'll do it too. And, and I think in Indiana, we're doing just that. All right. Thank you both, Andy Biggs, Congressman, uh, Freedom Caucus Chairman, Jim Banks. Thank you. House Armed Services Committee. Do you think your critics want you to keep it closed going into the election? Yeah, I do. I do. I think it's a it's a political thing in addition. Uh, I think because some they're states, saying you're putting money, uh, business ahead of lives. Yeah, no, no. Uh, I think the people that want to see the right thing happen, they agree with me. We have to get our country open. You know, it was up to some people. Let's keep it closed for a long time, okay? A long time. And watch the United States go down the tube. It's not going to happen. All right. That was the uh, president in his interview with per Maria Baratiromo. And, um, you know, it's getting more interesting by the day. You know, we, we have to figure out here... Because there's only so much money to go around. We spent $3 trillion, We have $4 trillion available, opened up for the Fed, loans available. Workers have been taken care of. All of the ventilators, masks, gloves, they're all being made uh, for rebounds, which are predictable. But they we're now showing and learning, at least from these meat packaging facilities, that we can manage them when they pop up, where they pop up, and make the adjustments as necessary. It's never going to be perfect. 
Um, I wish it was. Every life is precious. But if we are going, people are dying to get back to work. So we have to look at, well, if we want to reopen the country, well, what have we done successfully? I've now mentioned a zillion times that if the manufacturers of the medical equipment shut down in the middle of this pandemic while New York was going through a shift show, uh, guess what? We would have totally and completely and utterly been buried in New York. Healthcare workers, they wouldn't have been able to do their jobs. If the farmers, the packers, the truckers, and those guys, we, we met one of the, the kids at my local grocery store earlier this week, great kid. I mean, he was there every week. I saw him, I saw him this weekend. And he wore his mask. He didn't get sick. What did Ron DeSantis do? Ron DeSantis, well, he targeted the elderly population down in Florida. And when you look at, for example, you know, like one in it's one tenth of New York's nursing home deaths in Florida because DeSantis did it right. And Governor Cuomo in New York botched it, made the dumbest decision on top of being late and on top of rejecting his task force recommendations for medical equipment and ventilators from 2015 you know, then he took he was telling us in early March, along with de Blasio, we got this handled. We're ready. Go out on the town, de Blasio, saying, well, now we know, you know, nearly 6,000 of New York's deaths were in nursing homes because of the executive order that mandated that nursing homes take on COVID-19 patients. OK, well, DeSantis got it right. And Cuomo and de Blasio and the health commissioner in New York, they got it wrong. I mean, it's you you look at this. It is unbelievable. By the way, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, they made some of the same mistakes as they made in in New York. Now we ha- we just got news today that the de Blasio's health commissioner in the middle of this pandemic, when they were looking for uh, masks for New York Police Department uh, uh, officers that were out there on the street, you know, basically said, I don't give a rat's ass. That's a direct quote. Now, Cuomo has Howard Zucker heading up the New York State Health Department. He's the guy that decided, oh, we're not going to buy the 15,783 ventilators that we'll need peak week. And de Blasio didn't buy any of the 10,000 that he was supposed to buy. New York's health commissioner blew off an NYPD request for 500,000 surgical masks. And it's unbelievable. You know, New Jersey blew it. Connecticut blew it. New York blew it. Michigan blew it. But Florida didn't. And other states didn't as well. And so what do we learn? How do we open and open safely? Okay, well, the elderly population has to be protected. If you ask Hannity, are you wearing your mask outside when you're not social distancing? My answer is yes. Why? You you know, because uh, I do it out of respect for older people I may have contact with. There's my answer. I don't have any parents. My parents are long gone. My, my grandparents are long gone. But if I run into elderly people, I don't want them to contract the disease. I'm relatively young and healthy. I'm fine. But I do it for them. Now we see how did these guys stock the shelves every week right at ground zero, at the epicenter of this whole thing, and they none of them got sick because they were all wearing masks. Well, okay, you do the temperature check turnstiles at any stadium. You give everybody a mask with whatever team emblem you have on it. You, you can drink beer through a straw, put it up the side of your mask or something. Maybe take a bite of a hot dog. But that's it. Older people should be asked to stay home this season. Not out of discrimination, out of respect for their health and their better protection. 
Uh, anyway, there are some businesses that are opening and finding solutions. I was blown away by the plexiglass. I've talked a lot about it to give manicures and uh, more social distancing. You put your hands under what is like a bank teller handing out cash opening in the plexiglass. Everyone's with masks and gloves. Guess what? It's getting done, and it seems to be getting done safely. Um, now, Alex and uh, Kelsey Carroll, they happen to be small business owners, 31-year-old uh, couple. They have two kids, 13 employees. Now, they have a game-based events business. It's called Toss-Up Events. By the way, they have clients like the Cowboys, the Broncos, Pepsi, and they're on their way to a, another successful summer when COVID-19 uh, put everything to a standstill. And anyway, they join us now to talk about solutions. I, I, by the way, welcome to the program, Alex and Kelsey. Who's in charge of the business? Is it you, Kelsey? I'm just guessing. Well, yeah, of course. This is and, Kelsey. Uh, Hi. And, and Alex, you agree with that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yep. All right. So tell me a little bit about your business. What do you do? So Toss-Up Events, we started about three years ago. We build outdoor experiences outside of stadiums with some of the big brands out there. And, yeah, when, when COVID hit, that all stopped. It's fun. So I think I know what this is. So every Christmas, as my Christmas gift to my son, I would give him Super Bowl tickets. And we go to the Super Bowl together. You go outside the Super Bowl, you, you know, you have like a place where you can catch a catch footballs, another station yeah. where you can kick a field goal, stuff like that. Is that the kind of thing you do, except games? Yeah, and it's, and it's branded games. So we'll work with brands to create fun experiences for fans to engage with, you know, before they go inside the stadium. Exactly what you're talking about. I love that. All right, so where are you now with your business? you got 13 employees. Uh, I guess everything is at a standstill unless sports stadiums open up again. Yep, yep. So... Sean, it was crazy. When in March 11th hit for our business, we had 13 guys all over the country delivering events at all different types of sporting events and all their live events, and it all stopped on a dime. Um, literally had to bring everyone back home, furlough everyone. We didn't know when events were going to come back. But it was funny. I was talking about this with Kelsey last night. It's only in America that within a couple days – we were able to pivot, come up with a product that would fit the marketplace, which is hand sanitizer stations, using the same vendors, being able to bring our employees back. And so within two or three days, we were able to bring back all 13 people. And then our manufacturer out of Quinlan, Texas, was able to bring back nine people. You know, American jobs are making it here. Uh, there's a need for it, and we're just focusing on bringing back bringing people back to work safely. And, and Kelsey, so what are the sanitizing no, stations? Because you sanitize here. I have a picture of it in front of me. I want you to describe it to people. Of course. So everybody that has been, you know, to a hospital recently or even before coronavirus hit, they have these hand sanitizer stands, and it's a dispenser that you would just, you know, push, get some foam, sanitize your hands um, like that. And so what we've created is a premium quality built stand that comes with the dispenser, the sanitizer, that businesses, small businesses, big businesses can buy and have branded with their logos on it, and it can be a part of their store, their retail, their restaurant, and it will last for years to come. Sort of like when you go to a hospital or a lot of buildings, they have the Purell stand, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Except you well, could I do think- it like I could do the Sean Hannity show for uh, sanitizer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll call it sanitizer. Yeah, and the big, the big diff, and the big difference between our stand and what we really wanted to try to do. Most of the stands out there are made in China. They're less than fifteen pounds, and I think our our big gamble was, hey, when people start using this every single day, so you know the Purell stand in the corner of the office building, maybe five percent of people walked by and used it. You know, now you're going to get a hundred percent usage. So we don't think the Chinese-made twelve-pound stand is going to hold up. So this is a 62-pound, high-quality stand that's going to last for years to come. So that, that was our play. Of, hey, we so demand is pretty good. high for this right now, you, so you're keeping all your employees working. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got 13 people back in our office. We've got eight people out in Quinlan. And then we've got people who lost their jobs that are selling it on a commission basis. And the demand is absolutely crazy. That's amazing. What a great story. Good for you guys, thinking on your feet. Um, and, uh, I just got to give you a lot of credit and it, and it's also going to help. St- uh, listen, I talked to Randy Levine of the Yankees last night is the chief executive. I've been talking to him almost every day. I've been talking to, uh, I was on the phone with John Isner last night. He plays, you know, one of the top tennis players in the world. Oh yeah. And they're dying to get back out and play. These guys want to play. Now, if you go through a temperature check, you go through your little sanitizer thing that you guys are producing. We clean our hands, you know, Yankee sanitizer, U.S. Open sanitizer, 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 whatever <laughs> it happens to be. You, everyone gets a mask. Randy Levine said he could have masks for every single person that enters Yankee Stadium. They, could, they have these thermo, if, you know when you walk through a turnstile? They have thermo turnstiles. You can bring a ton of people through and check people's temperatures by the thousands, and you know, and like no time at all, and make yeah. sure if somebody has a temperature, you got to say, okay, we can't let you in today. I mean, that's yeah, one since, check. Since we've la- since we've launched StandUpStations.com, we've gotten requests from all over the country, from New York, Florida, Louisiana, Georgia, and these are from mom and pop barber shops to big corporations looking for a heck of a lot of them. To restaurants and That's we're trying great. to just make them as quickly as we can and I think that that is our that was our advantage is that how quickly we were able to move into action you know we're talking to the teams just like you said right we're working with different NFL teams where we're gonna adjust our stand-up station sanitizer stand to be two feet taller and hold the temperature checker so when you go into the stadium you're gonna feel safe you sanitize your hands you get your temperature checked, you go in, you have your mask on that gets handed to you. It, it's a safe process. You know, we feel if we If we that. can do this one thing, which is a pain in everyone's backside, if everyone can just accept that you'll wear the mask because you care about your fellow Americans. They're vulnerable yeah. people out there. They got this Kawasaki thing going on in New York now. But we're learning lessons here. I mean, we're learning them the hard way. But those that protected the elderly population, those that, you know, those in the epicenter of this that wore their masks, wore their gloves, used their sanitizer, they didn't get sick at the, at the stores that I go to. I've been going to the same restaurants, the same deli, the same pizza place, Bayville Deli, Mario's Pizza, La Pazetta, Chris and Tony's, Rothman Steakhouse, every single, you know, I buy food out all the time and, and I, I, I buy more food than I can eat. 
because I just want to see my friends, number one. And number two, nobody's getting sick in any of these places in the epicenter because they're all masking up. So Yeah, masking is definitely a sign of respect. A sign of respect. That's a great way to put it. I respect older people. I respect... Look, uh, I wish I could put on the mask for my grandparents and mother and father. They passed away. But I'll put it on for your parents and your grandparents. How's that? Well, and and I think what we're trying to do, too, is just make people feel safe when they come back, right? It's, It's something that you can, the same way you wear a mask, you sanitize your hands, you kill the germs on your hands. We're just trying to do our small part, you know, to get America back to work. I love these guys. I mean, guys, this is awesome. I mean, kudos awesome. to you for You don't think Linda has a New York, thick New York accent, do you guys? Of course they oh. don't. Well, I dropped my, I have, a five one, I have a 516 area code. I, I lost my accent hey, hey. when I moved to Texas. Good for you. I lost strong, mine girl. when I moved to Alabama. Well, guys, uh, again, give out your website. Um, I'm going to tell Randy Levine about you when I uh, talk to him, when I talk to any U.S. Open officials. I'll tell him about you also. We'll put it up on Hannity.com, give you a little plug, although it sounds like you don't need any help from us. <laughs> oh, we, no, we appreciate it. it. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, thank you, guys. com. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you both for what you're doing. 800 941 Sean, you want to be a part of the program. All right. That's going to wrap things up for today. Loaded up tonight, Sidney Powell, that is General Flynn's attorney, uh, the great one, Mark Levin, uh, Rudy Giuliani, Peter Navarro, Dan Bongino, David Rubin, and Carl Rove will analyze where we are 173 days till the ultimate jury, you, the American people. 9 Eastern tonight, Hannity, Fox News. Set your DVR. Don't forget Hannity.com for all the news information updates you will need on a daily basis. Thanks for being with us back here tomorrow.